you have an iPad or an iPhone or whatever, that's great. Go to Axe. If you don't, there's books in the back. You can go grab one. You can have one. You can keep one. It's yours. Take it. Keep it or give it away. Take five. Give them away. We have tons of them, and we will get tons more. I always want the Bible to be in people's hands. So uh, the other thing is, too, is I want it to be in your hands. So some of the stuff we talk about will be on the screens, uh, not all of it, because I want you to look at the book. Um, and I want you to walk out of here holding God's word in your hand and not saying, man, Dave said this or Dave said, or what was it Dave said? I'd much rather you be like, what was it that Luke said? What was it that Jesus said, et cetera, et cetera. And all that's written down for you. So Acts is where we're at. We've been following the story of God. We've been doing this for a long time. So we are actually coming close. I know we're at Acts. You think, well, there's a long way to go. Well, the back end of this goes quick. So there's re- we're really probably going to finish this up uh, around Thanksgiving, which is awesome because we started over a year ago. And we've just been following the story of God from Genesis, actually before creation, and just looking at him through his word and seeing how his whole word points to him continually over and over and over and over and over. Um, and we haven't read every word, obviously, but we've hit highlights and stories and all of that, and we've come all the way to the Messiah, and then we've come out of the time of his resurrection and ascension to where he has given the Holy Spirit, who has planted the church, started the first church. And that's kind of where we are, is at the birth of this first church and the, the structure of this church and all of that. And now today, you're going to see this church starts moving forward. Um, and it's an interesting text that gets a lot of attention for different reasons, and we'll address some of that. Magic, miracles, and the truth. That's what I call it. Because there's a lot of that, all of that going on in this text. And the world that we live in is that way, too, in a lot of cases. And, unfortunately, churches are that way in a lot of cases as well. So there's sheets back there. If you want one, you can take one. You can grab one, or you can take one when you leave. Again, they're not in color today. They're in black and white because the printer and me are making a movie later. So um, they're, uh, but they're back there, and they have um, questions on the back. So always put a few questions on the back of that. You can take it with you if you want just to kind of help you think through how this pulls into your life, how it, how you process God's word throughout the week. So. I have always been a fan of metal, hard rock, angry type music. Like, I grew up in that. That's what I always like. Some of y'all, I'm wrecking my image of you. That's okay. Some of you are like, shocker. Uh, but any event, that's always been the kind of music that I listen to. And for the most part, it's always been I love the, the music. Like, the music is it. I was talking to another pastor in Tennessee, David uh, Rayner. I'll out him. Uh, and... Uh, he and I were talking about this, and he was talking about how much he loved Rage Against the Machine back in the day, and I was talking about the same thing in other bands and all this. But the thing is, a lot of those bands, though, are pretty, nowadays especially, openly satanic and, and openly anti-Jesus. So my thing was, like, I, I don't care how, what, what kind of attitude or all that stuff you've got. And Ed and I were talking about this last week, you know. But when you start just bashing Jesus, then I don't even want to hear it. Like, I'm just not interested in it. Uh, I, I don't want it. It's not like I'm guarding my ears. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you bash him. And what's shocking, though, is if you look at it, a lot of those bands who are in that category in a highly successful way 
are former Christians, quote unquote, you know, raised in the church uh, and have at least they said they were Christians. Is that possible? Like, can you believe and be baptized even, but not actually be saved? Like, how can you know? I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just saying, how can you know? Well, God gave a test. The test is, are you controlled by the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? In other words, you're not perfect, but you have a strong conviction that you want to be. You know, is that in your life? Is there something in your life that says, man, the music's great, but I just don't want to hear them bash Jesus. Like, I just don't want to hear. Is there something convicting in your life that's the test so here's kind of the one sentence uh road map for what we'll talk about this is me this is not scripture but we can do the right things and believe in displays of god's power but true faith causes us to know jesus to like know him receive his holy spirit and follow him all right i know that sounds obvious but it's really not it's really not Salvation is never achieved. A lot of faiths teach that. It's never achieved. It's not something you achieve. You can't buy it. We're going to look at that today. Some think that. If you just give enough, then God will bless you or God will give you salvation. It can't be stolen. It can't be bargained for. It's received through his word, right, through his word. And the revelation of the Holy Spirit. What that means is the Holy Spirit makes this word. I, I remember working for a chef way back when I was in that program. I worked for a chef and the chef said, uh, have you ever read the Bible? I was like, yeah. And she said, yeah, it's a decent book. I said, oh, you read it? And she said, yeah, it was interesting. Like that was her assessment of it. But the Holy Spirit allows us to look at it and see jesus like see god in it like it opens our eyes it opens our hearts to things so go to acts chapter 8 look at verse 4 and we're going to start there um i get to acts chapter 8 here we go so it says now those who were scattered remember we talked about that last week paul uh it was saul then had started this persecution of the church, and they scattered out. You can read that in the first paragraph there. But in verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching. That word scattered is a a Greek word, diaspero, which is where we get dispersion or the diaspora or whatever. That may not mean anything to most people. But when you're reading the Bible, you'll see James and Peter later, they write to the Jews in the dispersion. So it's referring to this word to this moment. That this is a moment when they're being dispersed out of Israel. And what do they do? They go about preaching the word. I love that. They didn't just run for their lives. They didn't just take off and run for their lives. Like there's a persecution arises in Jerusalem. They don't just run for their lives. God was not just reacting here either. Oh, man, I started this church in Jerusalem. I mean, I did all that, and now there's this persecution, so let's just try this. That's not the case. This was strategic. This is like the advancing of the kingdom. And notice who goes out preaching the word. Who does it say goes out? Those. Yeah. Like, it's not just the apostles. In fact, the apostles don't go out. They all stay in Jerusalem. These are... 
this is the church. These are just disciples. These are just people that have been equipped and start going out. Verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Messiah. So where's the city of Samaria? Well, we've talked about this. Remember, we went through it as we were going through the whole word. But Samaria is a product of the north of Israel splitting in a, almost a civil war. The south was called Judea. The north was called Samaria. Um, ten, ten tribes in the north and the two in the south. And the capital city of the north, like the, the south had their capital city, Jerusalem, right? Which was really the capital, should have been of all of Israel. But because of this, the guys in the north wanted their own capital, their own place of worship, their own everything. So they started... A city, a capital city called Samaria um, by a very wicked king named Ahab. You can go back and read all this. It's all in your Bible. It's all in history. Uh, but ultimately, they're conquered um, by Assyria. And when Assyria conquers them, Assyria scatters them all over the place and then resettles all of that land with mixed breeds of people, mixed races of people from all over the place, resettles that land in there. And they begin to mix with the Jews that are still there. And so the point is, by the time of Jesus, Samaria is considered a disgusting, revolting place of half, they said, half-breed Jews. Um, and the especially religious Jewish people would have no, they wouldn't even step on the ground. They'd go all the way around to avoid even stepping on the ground. Much less sit down and talk to a Samaritan or come into the home of a Samaritan. We talked about that with Jesus and the woman at the well and all that. But that's the context, okay? So Philip in verse 5 goes down to that city. He goes to the capital city of Samaria, uh, called Samaria, and begins to tell them about Jesus. All right? In verse 6, let's roll. The crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. Because... Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, which tells you what kind of territory this is. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in that city and amazed the people of Samaria. So this guy's not done anything recently in Samaria, but he has all of Samaria. Samaria paying attention to him because of the magic things that he's done. Um, and honestly, it's not a whole lot different than maybe the way they perceive Philip in the moment. He's showing up doing magic, wonders, miracles. And so this guy, Simon, he goes on in verse 9. He says, saying to that he himself was somebody great. I love that. He he. He said he himself was somebody great. I mean, that's a, such a statement. That's the definition of pride, right? Verse 10, they all paid attention to him. So they all are listening to him. From the least to the greatest, all of Samaria is hung up on this dude saying, this man is the power of God that is called great or the great God. This is his, he, he is the power of the great God. Maybe that's why there's so many demons here that need to be cast out. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him. Let's says it again, repeated two times, 10 and 11. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now, I'm not going down a rabbit trail about what magic is. I don't have to. Just get the picture. Verse 12. But 
when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Sounds like discipleship, right? So he, even he believes, gets baptized, and marches on with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he's amazed at what Philip is doing. So get the picture. Philip has followers. They're all in one accord. They're all following him because he does miracles. Simon has followers. They're all in one accord. They're all following him because he does magic. Same thing. Can wicked people do miracles? This is hugely important. 100%. And I'm basing that off the Bible, not my personal opinion. We can go all the way back to the second book in the Bible. In Exodus, when God is doing these amazing plagues, what do the Egyptian magicians do? Magicians. Same thing. Literally says, with the first three plagues, they do the same thing. And the, the rod, if you know the story, Moses lays down his rod and becomes a snake. The Egyptian magicians do the same thing. Everybody goes, yeah, but Moses' snake ate the two other. But that's beside the point. They did it too. You know, absolutely. Uh, go in, oh, well, that was way back then. Oh, really? Jesus said, talking about end times in Matthew 24, in verse 24, he says, false Christs and false prophets will arise. And look what he says, perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Like, how can they do those miracles if they're not really from God? That's the whole point. Like, even the people of God will begin to doubt. Like, how can they do miracles if they're not from God? Uh, Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, Paul said, the coming of the lawless one... Uh, the beast, the Antichrist, you can call him whatever you want. Paul calls him the lawless one. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Look what he says. With all power and false signs and wonders. Miracles. Guys, miracles alone cannot provide faith. I need you to process that a minute. Miracles alone cannot provide faith. And I'm not taking shots. I'm just looking around the world that we're in. And there are a lot of Protestant faiths that are hinged around miracles and celebrating the miracle of the moment so that our faith is strong. There are a lot of Catholic faith churches, divisions, whatever, that are built around icons that either cry or weep or leak or do so, you know, some kind of miracle thing. Those things can't provide faith. Am I saying they're not real? I'm not even addressing that. All I'm saying is, real or not real, it can't provide faith. Because here's the deal. If you always need a sign, do you really believe it? That's why a miracle can't provide faith. They contradict each other. If you always need a sign, like show me a sign, show me. Isn't that what the Pharisees told Jesus? Show me a sign, show us a sign. He raised the dead. He brought Lazarus back after four days dead, and they say, show us a sign. It, they can't, miracles can't do it. So, anyway, let's go on. It sounds, though, like these guys are true believers, right? They were believed, they were baptized. Definitely sounds like it. Look at verse 14. 
Uh, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem, so these are the head of the church, these are the, the 12 that were closest with Jesus, the apostles, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So the word of God has gone to Samaria through Philip. They sent to them Peter and John, probably out of amazement for one reason. Like, really? Verse 15, and they came down, analyzed the situation here, and they realized the Holy Spirit is not present. So they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. didn't say they command the Holy Spirit. It says that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So it's still the act of God, whatever's going to go on next. All right? Verse 16. For he, big huge word, circle it, underline it, star it, highlight it. He, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them. But they only have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That word only is big. It's emphasizing the fact that it's incomplete. They only had this. They did not have this. They didn't have all. They only had this. That's what he's saying. Um, It's the implication that something's missing. It's like a life raft. They have it, but there's no air in it. They've got, the, they've got the float, but there's no air. Uh, it says, verse 17, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. But it says they believed. Didn't it? They believed, and they were baptized. John 2, verse 23, says this, Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Literally what just happened with Philip. Verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in a man. He knows their heart. Like you could say whatever you want to say, but he knows where their heart is. Literally, what he's saying, James 2.19, most of you probably know this one, James wrote, You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons know who Jesus is. The demons believe for sure. But I get it, man. It's heavy. Like, here's the real question. Can you believe, be baptized, but not have the Holy Spirit? Like, how is that? Is that possible? Well, confessing Jesus' name is not enough. We just read that. Not to mention the fact that Judas did that for years before he confessed his name with a kiss and had him taken to a cross. Uh, Baptism alone is not enough to save because I give you one example. John, the Baptist, baptized people. But he said, one's coming after me who was greater than me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So do you need somebody to lay hands on you then? That's the other thing that's kind of heavily debated in this. You've you got to understand the culture of the Jewish people. This is why I love the, the Hebrew culture. This is why I'm a junkie for Old Testament more so than, than I am new. Not because the New Testament's not amazing, but because the people of the New Testament were Hebrew. This is, they're all Jews. This is a Jewish place and a Jewish moment in a Jewish culture. So yes, the language is Greek, 
But it's not, it's still a Hebrew world that they're in. So when it says they came up and laid hands on them, this is not like what you see on TV. This is not like our version of laying hands on somebody. What this is, is wrapping somebody. Hand goes from here to here. It's wrapping yourself, wrapping yourself. Like for us, it would be like we said, man, I'm going to come sit down with Ed over here. I'm going to put my arm around him and we're fixing to pray. That, that's what it means. It doesn't, it's not some kind of shooting power that they're thrusting at people. They sat down, they came, they gathered around, they put their arms around them to pray. Whatever is going on here, I can tell you this, it's not the norm because there's no other Descriptions of people receiving the Holy Spirit by his hands being laid. This is a very unique um, mention that goes on here. In fact, the guy in the second half of this we'll look at in a second. It receives the Holy Spirit in a totally different way. In Acts chapter 10, a Roman soldier hears Peter share the word. And in verse 43, it says, Peter's telling this Roman family, uh, to Jesus, all the prophets, so he's the word of God. All of the word of God bears witness that whoever believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. While he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those uh, who heard the word. Nobody touched anybody necessarily. There was no magic. Uh, and Paul said this about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.13. He says, in him also, in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth. So two things here. When you heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, Jesus, you were past tense, right? Were is past tense. Were sealed with the Holy Spirit. At what point were you sealed? When you heard and believed. I mean, that's, there's nothing confusing, confusing about that if you just read what it says. When you heard the word of the gospel and believed in Christ, you were then sealed. The point is the evidence of salvation is the Holy Spirit. According to Paul. So what's going on here? Well, it could be that these people simply had head knowledge and had seen miracles they were impressed by. And were like, whatever the next step is, we'll do the next step. But it wasn't really in their heart. They're acting based on what they've experienced. Had they been doing that before? Yes. With Simon. They were all invested in Simon. They were all following Simon because Simon had done miracles. Now, Philip shows up. Philip does miracles, say these things. We believe you, Philip. We believe Jesus. Sure. Well, baptize. Cool. We'll do that. You know, whatever else we need to do, we'll do because you're doing miracles. And so obviously what you're saying is true. So let's just go on and do that, too. Almost like Jesus is cool. So is Simon's God. So is this God. So is that God. Whichever one can show us power and whatever they want us to do, we're going to do. Matthew 7 verse 21 makes clear from Jesus' own words that these things can happen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Now, I need you. Y'all may be familiar, but you need to see this. Will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Look what he says. 
Did we not prophesy or, or preach the word, proclaim the word in your name? Did we speak on your behalf and cast out demons in your name and do what? Mighty works, miracles in your name. And then I'll declare, I never knew you. Look, the miracles can't be the test. Because these guys are going to do miracles too. And they're going to be shocked. They even said, Lord, Lord. They called Jesus Lord. And they did miracles in the name of Jesus. And yet he has no idea who they are. I mean, obviously he does. But what he's saying is there's no relationship here. Well, several commentaries also suggest that this is like a back here in Acts 8. That this is a unique move of the Holy Spirit. Um, and the fact that the first church, these apostles of this first church come in person is a sign of unity. Because as I said, the Samaritans were so divided from the Jews. And so it's showing the Samaritans that the Holy Spirit and salvation is from the Jews. It is from these apostles. And they're coming in person. The fact that these apostles laid hands on them is less shocking in the power sense and more shocking in the fact that these first church fathers, these holy men who started this first church, these holy uh, guys who had walked with Jesus every step of the way, this legendary rabbi who supposedly has risen from the dead calling himself God, that this guy, that his own closest disciples and apostles would not only come to Samaria, but they would come to Samaria, they would sit down, and they would put their arms around and touch Samaritan people and love them and pray for them and allow them to still be Samaritans. They didn't have to abandon Samaria. They didn't have to move to Jerusalem. They didn't have to become Jews. They didn't have to change their culture and who they were, they needed, they needed to repent and believe, but they didn't, they, they didn't have to do, they didn't have to become Jews in the Judaic sense. Even Simon believed and baptized, right? And follows Philip. But what determines the truth here about what you believe? It's never your words, it's always your heart. And if you've ever had any kind of bad relationship in your life, you know that's true. I don't care if it's your dad, I don't care if it's your mom, I don't care if it's a girlfriend, a boyfriend, an ex. If you've had a bad relationship, you know words are cheap. People can say all kinds of things, but what's in the heart matters. And Simon's heart gets really exposed when the Holy Spirit shows up. Look at verse 18. When Simon saw, the Spirit was given. So as these guys come and they put their hands up, wrap around these people, and the Holy Spirit invades the moment almost like it did at pentecost and it fills all of these people and, and we're not told what do they do do they do they talk in tongues do they um what do they do I, we don't know it doesn't say but there's some visible thing that occurs that allows them that allows simon to recognize that these people have now been empowered by the holy spirit he offers money let me have, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Power, man. We make that same mistake though, don't we? How often do you think of the Holy Spirit as an it and not a he? 
I mean, I, I do this too. If you get in a conversation and you're talking quickly and you're referring to the Holy Spirit, a lot of times you might slip, slip out the word it instead of he. But that's because we think of spirit as power or, or, or something. And the Holy Spirit was powerful. But the Holy Spirit, or is powerful, but the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a he, not an it. And that's what he's totally missed. In fact, most of them have missed that. That's the whole point of the whole thing. That you can claim to believe in Jesus. You can even take steps of faith, like saying, I'm going to get baptized. But, but you can do that in ways that have no internal power in your life because you don't know him. Like you don't know that it's a him, it's a person. And if you know it's a person, then that changes the whole way you respond to all of these things. So let's flip it up and finish over really quick. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for it. Look what he said. Your heart is not right before it. Now, it said, just like with everybody else, that he believed and he was baptized and he followed Philip. On the outside, everything looks right. But now, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the truth comes out. And when the truth comes out, Philip's, or excuse me, Peter says, your heart is jacked. You're very obviously lost. Um, and verse 22, repent therefore. So he tells him. It doesn't say you're, you're, you're hopeless and go to hell. He doesn't say that. He says repent. Now he's angry. But it doesn't matter. He's still giving him the path out. Repent therefore. Of this wickedness of yours, pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart, again, there it is, may be forgiven you. For I see that there's bitterness in you and the bond of iniquity. You're bound by sin. You're not obviously not saved. You're obviously bound by iniquity. And you're bitter and jealous that people are following something other than what you have. Man, Peter was a thug, y'all. I'm not even kidding. I mean, Peter just was so hard. But this guy's actions reveal his heart's lost. He's not, he's seeking a power over the person, right? It's obviously, what he's seeking the power over the person, he's seeking a position of authority and, and whatnot instead of the people that are around him. We can do that too. I can give you another test for that one. What do you pray for most? Do you pray for victory in certain circumstances? Is your prayer, are your prayers 80, 90% about victory over something? Or are they about, I just need you here, God. Jesus, I just need you here. Like I need to hear from you. I need to see you. I need to know you're here. Or is it all about victory, victory, victory on something? Or, question number two, who? What do you pray for most? Who do you pray for most? Pray for yourself. I'm not hating. I'm just saying. Pray for yourself or do you pray for others? Where's most of your prayer time spent? Jesus is a person, y'all. He's not a magic wand. Verse 24, Simon, finishing up here pretty quick. We're, we're going to get the last piece of this, but it goes fast. Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Notice he's not repenting here, and he's, he's just afraid of a curse. Because Peter said, you pray, and he says, no, Peter, you pray. 
And it doesn't even say that Peter did it. Verse 25. Now when they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Philip came preaching the word. The apostles leave now preaching the word. Everywhere they go, they're telling the word. This is not like saying to the the cashier at Starbucks, God bless you. That's, that's, That's not the same thing. This is, I, we're, we're spending the night here, we're staying a while here, we're staying as long as we need to, and we're teaching the word to these people. Philip's next encounter, which we got it really quick, uh, is totally different. So watch what goes on here in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is right after that, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza is the same Gaza today. It's down, it connects Israel down there towards Egypt. So go down there. This is a desert place. And so he rose and he went. So Philip is told by by an angel, go down there. He goes immediately. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official. So this is a powerful person of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. We all know where Ethiopia is. Same place. Who is in charge of all of her treasure. So this is obviously a wealthy, powerful person who is journeying from Jerusalem back down to uh, North Africa, back down to Ethiopia. And he was returning, seated in his chariot. Don't think about Ben-Hur or chariot races. This is like a carriage. The word there is like a carriage. All right, And he's most certainly in a caravan because he's wealthy and whatnot else. So there's probably a whole caravan and a carriage in the middle of it of some kind, like maybe a covered carriage or something that he's riding in. And it says, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, probably because of the context you'll see in a minute. He's probably even reading aloud. He may have been reading to the others that could hear him around him while they were walking back that way. Where did he get this scroll? That's no small thing. Like some of y'all just grab a Bible off the back. Some of you open your phone and there it is. But it ain't that easy then. The only scrolls that there were there were in the temple or in the synagogue, and they were extremely expensive. There was no bookstore that you're going to go pick it up in. So this, for this dude, would not have been easy or cheap, and it was obviously his treasure. It also tells you a little bit about his faith because he came to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's going back. All right? So it says in verse 29, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he told Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip, so far, is just following an angel to this road, and now he's following the conviction of the Spirit. Did the Spirit speak in his ear? Did it, it doesn't say. doesn't matter. He's convicted by the Spirit. He knows he needs to. He walks over to this chariot, doesn't know what to expect, but as he approaches, he begins to hear this man reading aloud. Pretty cool little moment. Has the Spirit ever convicted you to share your faith with somebody? I think more often than not, when that question gets asked, the next question is, did you do it? And usually that's a convicting no, you know, but it doesn't have to be. Maybe he did and you did. That's good. Celebrate it. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip, come up here and sit down. Help me understand. Great picture of the good news being news here. Tell me what I'm reading. That's awesome. Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, 
He was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. That's from Isaiah 53. My opinion, the best picture of the gospel in the whole Bible. And it's in the Old Testament. If you don't know it, go read it. Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, not what, great question, I asked, does this prophet say this about himself or about someone else? He asked the right question. Who is this about? No talk about power. No talk about miracles. He's not looking for any of that. He's seeking a person. Who is this about? And what he doesn't know that's also awesome is that that person, God, is seeking him. That's why, that's why Philip is there. Little does he know God is seeking him. God sent Philip to him. Verse 35, and Philip opened his mouth. <laughs> Not a random statement. Open his mouth. People right off sharing the gospel with, I'm just living it right in front of people. No, no. Open your mouth. And beginning with this scripture, so beginning with Isaiah 53, he told him the gospel about Jesus. Can you take Isaiah and share the gospel? Here you go. And he's pointing out who Jesus is. Peter wrote in Second Peter 1.19, it's not on the board, you can look it up in your own time, that the word of God is more sure than even the greatest miracles. Verse 36, here we go. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. Like joy, like, oh my God, there's water. Stop everything. Pull the thing over. What prevents me from being baptized? I'm getting in that water. Where's the miracle? Where's the laying on of hands? Where's the fire from heaven? Like, you don't see any of that. None of that happened. Peter didn't put his hands on him. But something has happened. We don't even have a sinner's prayer. He's just become aware of who Jesus is. And he's like, man, let me get in that water. Don't tell me what's next. I'm already in it. Like, pull this thing over. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, maybe an Elijah-like thing, who knows. And the eunuch saw him no more. Either way, Philip is gone. And he went on his way rejoicing. This guy goes off just shouting. He's so full of joy. Changed life. Verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed on, he preached the gospel to all the towns as he went back north towards Caesarea. Philip is carried off by the Spirit, yes. But the real miracle here is that an Ethiopian is saved by the Holy Spirit, having found the truth through the Word of God and has responded by jumping in the water to be baptized, full of joy, and now is headed home to Africa, armed with all of that. The Word doesn't need miracles. The Word doesn't need sermons or powerful speakers it doesn't need convincing languages it doesn't need arguments it doesn't need a sh you know a stage show it doesn't need lights and and booming you know worship and all, all these things are great but the word doesn't need those things the word has all the power necessary to save but salvation is not complete without the holy spirit and that's what he's making his point here and guys this is just the beginning of the church. So cool. Alright, like if y'all stand up with me, we're gonna pray and we'll we'll wrap up. We're gonna do another song. Um 
I ask you to close your eyes for just a minute. I always do that. That's not me being weird or funny, but, but just giving you an opportunity to stop and pause and think on things for a second, myself included. Um, John's coming up and putting on what he needs to lead the last song. It's not about that. It's just about taking a minute to focus. Just one minute. If you're a believer, the gospel is good news, but it's not news unless you share it. Are you sharing it? Maybe you're not sure what the gospel is. It's not about power in that sense. It's about a person. In a word, the gospel is Jesus. That salvation is possible. Salvation's only a beautiful, good news, great, amazing thing if you recognize you need it. And some of you may. Maybe you know that you wrestle with sin. Maybe you know that you deal with sin. I was reading a psalm today and uh, David saying, I'm consumed with sin. It's in my, it's in my, in, in everything and being sick over it. If that's you today, just like Peter told Simon, repent, like just repent. Just Jesus, listen, you can, I, I got to have you. Maybe like this eunuch where you're looking at the word and you're going, man. I want that. Like, I want that joy. I want that excitement. I want you. I don't care about power. I want you. I don't care about miracles. I want you. If that's you today, tell him that. You don't need me to give you something fancy to say. You say it from your own heart, however you want to. And trust that his Holy Spirit will change your life. Believers, man, if you are a believer in this room, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a done deal. What you need most And I need most is to see him work through our lives. And for us, that means we need to stay on the cross. We need to keep ourselves out of his way and allow him to lead us to preach the word everywhere. Lord, you are awesome, and I thank you for the privilege of doing that today. I pray you're glorified by the uh, time that we've spent today and the time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that your word changes our lives. Mine too, as we go throughout the week. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.